This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. This passage is from the Holy Gospel according to Luke chapter 10. The church proclaims this today at Mass. At that very moment, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for your gracious will. We ask you now to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that in Christ we may praise you for the hiddenness of grace. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Therese of Lisieux, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This talk is titled, The Hiddenness of Grace for St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Therese of Lisieux. And I'd like for us to begin with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 2005. Since it belongs to the supernatural order, Grace escapes our experience and cannot be known except by faith. We cannot therefore rely on our feelings or our works to conclude that we are justified and saved. However, according to the Lord's words, thus you will know them by their fruits, reflection on God's blessings in our life and in the lives of the saints offers us a guarantee that grace is at work in us and spurs us on to an ever greater faith and an attitude of trustful poverty. The Catechism then goes to one saint, a saint who was much beloved by St. Therese of Lisieux, whom we celebrate today, October 1st. A pleasing illustration of this attitude is found in the reply of St. Joan of Arc to a question posed as a trap by her ecclesiastical judges. Asked if she knew that she was in God's grace, she replied, if I am not, may it please God to put me in it. If I am, may it please God to keep me there. I love that. Are you in a state of grace? If I am not, may God be pleased to put me in it. If I am, may God be pleased to keep me in it. Uh, once when I was flying from Nashville to Washington, D.C., I was uh, with my Magnificat uh, praying, and then the young woman next to me uh, had her Bible open, and I could tell that she was reading St. Paul. And so I thought I'd be friendly, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm there as a priest next to this young woman reading the Bible. I said, do you have a favorite letter, Paul? She said, the letter to the Philippians. I said, I love Philippians, the letter of joy. The, this conversation continued for about 53 seconds, and then she turned to me and asked, are you saved? <laughs> I said, I hope so. <laughs> she retorted, hope, hope has nothing to do with it. And then I went to Romans, by hope we are saved. That was the end of the conversation <laughs> on the flight from, Washington, from Nashville to Washington, DC. There is a hiddenness about grace during this life on earth. Uh, we don't just simply say, uh, 
I am justified and I am, I know I am going to heaven. We pray, we beg, we knock on God's door and ask to be received by him. We are so thankful that by the blood of Jesus, we have been saved, you know, that, that Christ has been saved, that he is saving us now and that he promises to save us. Do we accept this? Do we follow the saints, accept, receive what God has done, is doing, and will do? That's the question. By meditating on the mystery of the hiddenness of grace through two doctors of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Therese of Lisieux, we can come to a better understanding of God's presence in our lives and can repent of our sins, thank, love, and praise God for who he is by his grace. All right, so this talk is divided into two parts, St. Thomas Aquinas and then St. Therese of Lisieux. So first we begin with St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas teaches that there are different kinds of grace, all right? So the grace that I'm especially speaking of, the grace that was being quizzed by her ecclesiastical judges, St. Joan of Arc, was what we commonly call sanctifying grace. It is the grace that St. Thomas calls the grace that makes one pleasing, the grace that one makes one pleasing to God. In this sanctifying grace that makes us pleasing to God, we then can have a stable disposition of the soul, that the very essence of the soul is transformed and empowered by God's healing and elevating so that we may be, as St. Peter says in the second letter, chapter one, partakers of the divine nature, that we are deified, divinized, that we who are creatures who are not God are called to share in God's own life and love. That is the wonder, the mystery, the beauty of grace. St. Thomas is absolutely fascinated by the power of grace. He says, the good of grace in one is greater than the good of nature in the whole universe. I'll repeat, the good of grace in one, one soul, is greater than the good of nature in the whole universe. All right? We are still learning about the vastness of this universe. Have you seen the, the photographs uh, or the, you know, the images rather in terms of the James Webb telescope and you know, in terms of all these, all these images that are coming to us? You know, distant, distant, distant galaxies. A baptized baby is more wonderful with the mystery of the divine indwelling in that soul it, more wonderful than all the nature of this universe. Now, it's because that grace really has God there. The Son and the Holy Spirit are sent in the invisible missions of the Son and the Holy Spirit. God comes to dwell within our soul. God. And God doesn't just um, make that home as if not changing the home, but God recreates us. It is more wonderful than creation. St. Thomas Aquinas says that the recreation of grace is more wondrous than the creation of let there be light, 
okay, that God created ex nihilo from nothing. It is that wonderful. And so then we are recreated, and it is a created habitus or stable disposition that really changes us to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, I want us to think about how, in terms of this presence of God, that it's one of three presences of God during this life on earth. Okay, St. Thomas teaches when he asks about, uh, is God everywhere? Well, in terms of, uh, of all things, God is in everything in terms of nature, of what he has created. Did you ever learn the song, he's got the whole world in his hands, he got the whole... He does, okay? <laughs> he does. And he's not letting go. He, so he didn't just create and go on vacation to the Bahamas, okay? He, in the mystery of creation, holds everything, okay? In him, we live and move and have our being. Okay? All things, then, are within this mystery of God. And St. Thomas then talks about this mystery of God's presence in nature by essence, presence, and power. He causes all things to exist. And the wonder of creation is not merely that he made things a long time ago and went away, but that he sustains all things constantly. It's that kind of causality, a necessary sort of causality in terms of from our sense of being. We would not exist if God were not right now holding us in existence. He has a hidden presence in everything as the source of their existence. Uh, so he's in all things by power as all things are subject to his power. And by his presence, he is in all things as all things are open to his sight and by his essence as he is the cause of the being of all things. Okay, all things lie open and are naked to his sight. Right, that is in terms of all things in nature. Okay, take a rose. Okay, you know, the beauty of a rose on this feast of St. Therese. You know, that God wants us to think of him. Whether you see the beauty of a rose or actually the dirt underneath the rose, that God wants us to be lifted up to him. St. Paul says in the letter to the Romans chapter one, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes of eternal power and divinity have been able to be understood and perceived in what he has made. Okay, so the invisible God, you know, God invisible, uh, immortal, God only wise, okay? that God who cannot be seen with our bodily eyes, wants us to know of his presence simply through the things that he has made, all things. But we know that lots of people miss it, okay? So St. Paul then goes on in Romans chapter one in terms of idolatry. People want to be able to, to, see, to make something up for their God Something that something beautiful in the creation. And the Bible often links idolatry and adultery, sexual sins. And so then to be able to see that lots of people miss that hiddenness of God in nature. Now, people, some people also confuse the difference between God's presence in nature and God's presence in the second mode of, of, of his presence, and that is grace. And that is particular creatures, rational creatures, can be transformed to be able 
by God's healing and elevating to know him and to love him. By sanctifying grace, God is made present as one known and loved, habitually and in act, in rational souls who have been healed and elevated. It's a quality of the soul's essence, making us beloved sons and daughters of God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right Now, we in this talk are especially focusing on that hiddenness of God. And at the same time, God doesn't want to be completely hidden. After all, the church proclaims, preaches the sacraments that Christ instituted and uh, is calling people to these sacraments. You think about the first sacrament, baptism, right? And the sacraments of this new covenant, the new law, not only signify but cause grace, okay? They not only signify, but they actually cause the grace. And whether you feel something at Mass or not, because frankly, lots of people um, may not have a supernatural feeling at even the Mass, the greatest of all sacraments, that we know that God is at work. God is at work through an ordained priest celebrating that Mass in union with Christ, the head of the church. Right? The third kind of presence of God is Jesus Christ. St. Cyril of Alexandria coined the term union according to the hypostasis or hypostatic union. And that is that the hypostasis or person of the eternal Son of God took to himself a human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And that Jesus has, in a sense, the hiddenness of God to the greatest degree, in the sense that he is a man. Lots of people did not believe in him during his lifetime on earth. Right? He preached, he healed, he, he, you know, he gave forth a divine, the divine wisdom because he is divine wisdom incarnate. But people could reject him, and they did. In fact, they crucified the Lord of glory. Right? That one is risen from the dead and wants us to know that by the power of grace, we can be in him, united in him, so as to be prepared by him to the glory of heaven. Right now, uh, these then are the three different modes of God's presence. What are the three? Nature, grace, and that union, the hypostatic union, which is Jesus Christ. Nature, grace, hypostatic union. Each one, there's a hiddenness of God. And in each one, God wants to reveal to the childlike, to those who have a humble poverty, who rely upon him, not upon ourselves. Right? So St. Thomas, when he treats the question of whether Christ's birth should have been made known to all, he says that Christ's birth, um, uh, that, uh, that it would have been a hindrance to the redemption of man, which was accomplished by the means of the cross, if everybody had just known that Jesus is Lord. For it is written, if they had known it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. All right, so somehow in the mystery of God's plan, that, uh, that, that this was to fulfill the Father's will for our redemption. And then to think about the merit of faith. Okay, that, the, uh, that 
If, if Christ's birth would have been known to all as the Savior of the world, this would have lessened the merit of faith, which he came to offer us as the way to righteousness, according to Romans 3, the justice of God by faith of Jesus Christ. Right? Because faith, as Hebrews 11 says, is the evidence of things that are not seen. And then, frankly, in terms of the incarnation, if Jesus had done everything immediately simply as God, people would not have believed him to be really human. All right. Now, that Lord Jesus Christ comes to us substantially in the greatest of all sacraments, the Most Holy Eucharist. St. Thomas wrote various Eucharistic hymns. In Adoro Te, think about the hiddenness that St. Thomas praises. Godhead here in hiding, whom I do adore, masked by these bare shadows, shape and nothing more. See, Lord, at thy service, lo, lies here a heart, lost, all lost in wonder, at the God thou art. On the cross thy Godhead made no sign to men. Here thy very manhood steals from human ken. Both are my confession, both are my belief, and I pray the prayer made by the dying thief. In the Eucharist, we not only have God's hiddenness, we have the human hiddenness, because the accidents of bread and wine remain. Okay, The substance has completely been changed or converted. Okay, so in terms of the, there's a complete conversion of the substance. And so in the Eucharist, we have both the divine hiddenness and the human hiddenness. Now, St. Thomas asks the question whether one can know that he has grace. Okay, so can you know that you have grace? He gives, I think, five objections. The third objection is further, light is more knowable than darkness, since according to the apostle, Ephesians 5, all that is made manifest is light. Now sin, which is spiritual darkness, may be known with certainty by one that is in sin. Much more, therefore, may grace, which is spiritual light, be known. Right? So he answers that objection with, Sin has for its principal object commutable good, which is known to us, but the object or end of grace is unknown to us on account of the greatness of its life, light, according to 1 Timothy, that God inhabits light inaccessible. That when we talk about the mystery of grace, it's about being transformed by God who lives in light inaccessible. St. Thomas says in this answer, in this development of this question, um, that there are three ways of thinking about this. He follows after Ecclesiastes chapter 9, man knows not whether he be worthy of love or hatred. Okay? Man knows not whether he be worthy of love and hatred, love or hatred. Now, sanctifying grace makes a man worthy of God's love. Therefore, no one can know whether he has sanctifying grace. Okay, three things then. One is by special revelation. So St. Paul heard in 2 Corinthians, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And so it's possible that the Lord can give a special grace to somebody by revelation and to let that person know that he or she has grace. Okay. But more commonly, St. Thomas says, a man may of himself know something and with certainty, and this way no one can know that he has grace. For certitude about thing can only be had when we may judge of it by its proper principle. 
Thus, it is by undemonstrable universal principles that certitude is obtained concerning demonstrative conclusions. Now, no one can know that he has the knowledge of a conclusion if he does not know its principle, but the principle of grace and its object is God, who by reason of his very excellence is unknown to us. According to Job 36, behold, God is great, exceeding our knowledge. And hence his presence in us and his absence cannot be known with certainty, according to Job 9. If he come to me, I shall not see him. If he depart, I shall not understand. And hence man cannot judge with certainty that he has grace, according to 1 Corinthians 4. Neither do I judge my own self, but he that judges me is the Lord. So in terms of certainty, we cannot know by our own, you know, by our own principles uh, whether we are in a state of grace. You know, if God gives us a special revelation, yes, but just generally, no. But then St. Thomas says, things are known conjecturally by signs, and thus anyone may know he has grace when he is conscious of delighting in God and of despising worldly things in terms of putting worldly things in their place. And inasmuch as a man is not conscious of any mortal sin, Okay? And thus it is written, to him that overcomes, I will give the hidden manna, which no man knows, but he that receives it. Because whoever receives it knows by experiencing a certain sweetness, which he does not receive it, does not experience. Yet this knowledge is imperfect, St. Thomas continues. Hence, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, I am not conscious to myself of anything, yet I am not hereby justified. Since according to Psalm 18, who can understand sins? For my secret ones cleanse me, O Lord and from those of others, spare your servant. Okay, so this is where, in terms of just thinking about how in the life of grace, we can, uh, we don't have certainty, uh, but do you delight in God? Do you want to, uh, uh, to avoid sin? You know, does, is, is sin repulsive? You know that you want you want you you want to avoid sin. You just think about uh, about these things about how God is at work in our lives. Saint Thomas preached various sermons that we have. One is uh, called Puer Jesus, Sermon on the Child Jesus. He says, "Grace is hidden because it is in the soul." Can you see your soul? Okay, if you can't see your soul, if you can't see your neighbor's soul. How would you expect to see grace in your soul? You can see signs. Oh, he's alive. He smiles. Okay. Okay. He laughs. Okay. Uh, uh, so you can see signs of life, but you don't see someone's soul. So if you don't see someone's soul, you really can't see grace in the soul. Um, However, hidden causes are not known except through perceptible effects. Among all the effects of grace, none is so perceptible as peace. Therefore, the apostle always joins peace to grace. So Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, charity, peace. And when someone has peace, it is an indication that he has grace, since there is no peace to the wicked, says the Lord, Isaiah 48. And God indicated this in the case of growth in grace, because when Jesus was 12 years old, he entered into the place of peace, that is Jerusalem, which means vision of peace. Therefore, during our years of discretion, we ought to strive to acquire peace. So he's speaking to, uh, to those who are young, who are growing up, okay? So, and that the child Jesus is their model. But many people are deceived because they do not have peace when they think that they have it. Okay? Mm. I'm at peace. 
okay, but are you at peace with God who calls us to conversion, to pick up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus? Or are you at peace in terms of being settled that you have a consistency of sorts within yourself? That is not of God. All right, so hence the prophet said, peace, peace, but there, the false prophet said, peace, peace, but there was no peace, Jeremiah 6. In order that we may understand true peace, note that peace ought to have four conditions since it ought to be lofty, customary, persevering or lasting, and cautious. Okay, so in terms of the signs of peace, which would indicate the presence of grace. St. Thomas continues this, and you can go back to his sermon, Puer Jesus, the sermon on the child Jesus. Now we turn to St. Therese of Lisieux in terms of someone who was completely devoted to the child Jesus. St. Therese of the child Jesus and the holy face. All right. Now, she writes her, she was asked to write her autobiography. We know it as the story of a soul. And she talked about her retreat in preparation for her profession on September 8th, 1890. She says, need I tell you, dear mother, about the retreat before my profession? So she's writing her mother superior. Far from receiving consolation, I went through it in a state of utter dryness and as if, God, and as if abandoned by God. Jesus, as was his wont, slept in my little bark, my little boat. How rarely do souls allow him to sleep in peace? This good master, so we read, was continually making fresh advances that he eagerly avails himself of the repose I offer him, and no doubt he will sleep on until my great and everlasting retreat. Make sure you get that. Uh, people today uh, are thinking about Mother Teresa and how Mother Teresa had this terrible hiddenness of God in her soul. Well, she is a form of what St. Therese experienced. She, as the foundress of Missionaries of Charity, uh, received a gift that was akin to St. Therese within the cloister of her Carmel. Okay, that Jesus is asleep and he'll stay asleep until that final retreat of going to heaven. But instead of being grieved at this, St. Therese continues, I am glad. In truth, I am no saint, as this frame of mind well knows, uh, as this frame of mind well shows. I ought not to rejoice in my dryness of soul, but rather attribute it to my lack of fervor and fidelity. That I fall asleep so often during meditation and thanksgiving after communion should distress me. Well, I am not distressed. I reflect that little children are equally dear to their parents, whether they are asleep or awake. Then, in order to perform operations, doctors put their patients to sleep. And finally, that the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Yet, apparently barren as, as was my retreat, and those which followed have been no less so. I unconsciously received many interior lights on the best means of pleasing God and practicing virtue. I have often observed that our Lord would not give me any store of provisions, but nourishes me each moment with food that is ever new. I find it within me without knowing how it has come there. I simply believe that it is Jesus himself hidden in my poor heart who is secretly at work, inspiring me with what he wishes me to do as each occasion arises. Sometimes people will just lump the, these great spiritual authors and doctors as wonderful mystics who were, had all these sorts of mystical experiences. Oh, read more of St. Therese. Okay. And if you are not experiencing great mystical heights, 
find in St. Therese a kindred spirit, right? Because she had an utter dryness, right? That, that this, is what she's, this is what she's describing. She especially reveals herself to her sister, Celine. And so I have some quotations here from letters to Celine. St. Therese says to her, it is painful to begin a day of toil, especially when Jesus hides himself from our love. What is the sweet friend about? Does he not see our anguish and the burden that weighs us down? Why does he not come and comfort us? Be not afraid. He is here at hand. He is watching. And it is he who begs from, this, from us this pain, these tears. He needs them for souls, for our souls, and he longs to give us a magnificent reward. I assure you that it costs him dear to fill us with bitterness, but he knows that it is the only means of preparing us to know him as he knows himself and to become ourselves divine. He knows that it is the only means of preparing us to know him as he knows himself and to become ourselves divine. Okay, the deification here. Our soul is indeed great and our destiny glorious. Let us lift ourselves above all things that pass and hold ourselves far from the earth. Up above, the air is so pure. Jesus may hide himself, but we know that he is there. Okay, the hiddenness of grace. St. Therese says to Celine in 1891, uh, 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 a reflection on a priest who uh, had a journey. So he was a Sulpician, then he became a Dominican, then he became a Carmelite, and then he left the Catholic Church. And what he did was he went around to all sorts of churches in France, trying to get other people to join his Catholic Gallican Church. Okay, so the Church of France, meaning his personal church, which would be truly French. So uh, St. Therese then tells Celine, um, he goes into the churches with a huge crucifix and he seems to be making great acts of adoration. His wife follows him everywhere. Dear Celine, he is really culpable, more culpable than any other sinner ever who was converted. But cannot Jesus do once what he has not yet ever done? And if he were not to do it, would he have placed in the heart of his poor little spouses a desire that he could not realize? No, it is certain that he desires more than we do to bring back this poor stray sheep to the fold. So what's St. Therese's reaction? Praying. Praying for the sinner. St. Therese later writes in this letter, let us not grow tired of prayer. Confidence works miracles. And Jesus said to Blessed Margaret Mary Alacoque, one just soul has so much power over my heart that it can obtain pardon for a thousand criminals. Okay, so Jesus revealed this to St. Margaret, Margaret Mary Alacoque. One just soul has so much power over my heart that it can obtain pardon for a thousand criminals. St. Therese continues, no one knows if one is just or sinful, but Celine, Jesus gives us the grace of feeling at the bottom of our heart that we would prefer to die rather than to offend him. And then it is not our merits, but those of our spouse, which are ours, that we offer to our father who is in heaven in order that our brother, that, pre that, that priest who left the Catholic Church, a son of the Blessed Virgin, returned vanquished to throw himself beneath the mantle of the most merciful of mothers that he goes back to his mother, the Virgin Mary. Okay, and then just notice in terms of that she knows 
she has this certain feeling, and she knows that Celine has this feeling too, that they would prefer to die rather than to offend the Lord. Okay, so sometimes people wonder about God's presence. Would you rather die? Would you rather die than offend the Lord? Now, Sister Marie of the Angels testified about St. Therese. The servant of God had a great fear of the lightest faults, and the saying, no one knows whether he is worthy of love or hatred, caused her to shed tears one day until she was consoled by the explanation given her. Ecclesiastes. Which St. Thomas explains. Now, in another letter to, to Celine, St. Therese says, my dear Celine, what you write fills me with joy. You are making your way by a royal road. The spouse in the canticles, the Song of Songs, unable to find her, the beloved in the time of repose, went forth to seek him in the city, but in vain. It was only without the walls she found him. It is not in the sweetness of repose that Jesus would have us discover his adorable presence. He hides himself in darkness. True, this was not his way with the multitude, for as we read that all the people were carried away as soon as he spoke to them. Dear Celine, let us rejoice in the lot that is ours. Let us give and give again and give royally, never forgetting that our beloved is a hidden treasure which few souls know how to find. Now to discover that which is hidden, we must needs hide ourselves in the hiding place. Let our life then be one of concealment. Okay, St. Therese and then uh, her uh, next oldest sister, St. Therese was the youngest of the sisters, uh, lived, of course, Carmelite lives. They were cloistered nuns. And so just in terms of the hiddenness, okay, that within the church, the cloistered life especially is an eloquent and powerful witness to the hiddenness of God. And that it's uh, the hiddenness of grace within our souls. To her cousin, Marie Guerin, St. Therese writes, you are like some little village maiden who, when sought in marriage by a mighty king, would not dare to accept him on the plea that she is not rich enough and estranged to the ways of a court. But does not her royal lover know better than she does the extent of her poverty and ignorance? Marie, though you are nothing, do not forget that Jesus is all. You have only to lose your own nothingness in that infinite all, and henceforth to think only of that all who alone is worthy of your love. You tell me you wish to see the fruit of your efforts. That is exactly what Jesus would hide from you. Okay, you tell me you wish to see the fruit of your efforts. That is exactly what Jesus would hide from you. He likes to contemplate by himself these little fruits of our virtue. They console him. Now, in terms of the hiddenness for St. Therese, she suffered particularly greatly from the Paschal time of 1896 until she died September 30th, 1897. And Benedict XVI comments, 10 years after the grace of Christmas, in 1896 came the grace of Easter, which opened the last period of Therese's life with the beginning of her passion and profound union with the passion of Jesus. It was the passion of her body, with the illness that led to her death through great suffering, but it was especially the passion of the soul, with a very painful trial of faith. With Mary beside the cross of Jesus, Therese then lived the most heroic faith as a light in the darkness that invaded her soul.
okay, that she herself became a light in the darkness that invaded her soul. Pope Benedict continues, the Carmelite was aware that she was living this great trial for the salvation of all the atheists of the modern world, whom she called brothers. This cloistered nun had, in this last about year and a half of her life, not only this bodily illness, but an, but an attack on her faith. There's a book called uh, The Last Conversations, Her Last Conversations, where collected together are the different last words of St. Therese. You know, that she tells a, a, a nun at a time, the serpents have stopped hissing. That, uh, that she was attacked in her darkness. She didn't feel God's presence, but precisely in that, she was united with Jesus Christ, the hidden God. And she, do, she did this because she knows that there's so many atheists, so many people who don't believe in God's presence. Today, united with St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Therese of Lisieux, we can ask for God's grace to be converted and to persevere, and that we can be joined by even those who are presently atheists because we pray for their conversion, and that together, with the saints in heaven, we may praise God who is seen. God wants to be seen. That's the happiness of heaven. So in terms of thinking about this conclusion, and then we have time for questions and answers, God likes to be hidden during this life on earth. He likes to be hidden. Why? It's for our good. Our faith. We need faith in order, you know, and faith is about that which cannot be seen. We need faith. We need to realize that uh, we are not sufficient of ourselves, but God's grace is there to help us. And so to have a trustful poverty. Uh, and then God wants us to have himself as our reward. Okay? He's, he doesn't want us to settle for the things that he has made. He wants us to be able to give up the things of this earth for the one who made heaven and earth. And now then, in terms of thinking about this mystery of God's hiddenness in our lives, to be able to emphasize the basics about frequenting the sacraments realizing the power of baptism, and then in terms of you know, going to confession regularly, being able to receive the whole, Holy Eucharist, to have contemplation, meditation, praying over the words of Scripture, Lexio Divina, spiritual reading, a great familiarity with Our Lady and the saints, 
spiritual conversation with spiritual friends, practicing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Do not let merely the natural remove your sense of the supernatural, which is beyond the matters of feelings. Okay? Right? So let God lift you up beyond the things of nature in his grace to Jesus himself. You know, Jesus himself is here with us. Detest sin. Detest it. Do penance. Love God with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make sacrifices with Christ, our hidden God. St. Therese had a special love for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And later in that canticle of love, St. Paul says, at present we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present I know partially, then I shall know fully as I am fully known. With grace hidden in your soul when you die, you will see God face to face forever in heaven's happiness. Thank you.